Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and I... I slid in the first again, had five seconds before the show went on. <laughs> and uh, even while we were playing the intro, I had to get up and turn off some lights that I had on. I was attempting to make some videos on our Exodus project. Also, trying to get ready for the Burning Bush Festival, which is coming up. I actually have a page open now that I was going to do a little bit of work on so that people would know what to expect. I uh, posted a couple extra videos on different web pages, not videos, but audios that we did. We have videos on our Burning Bush page at Preparing You. I talked to one of my programmers, a young fellow who's in the order, uh, at least uh, for the time being. He's in the order. He'll be at the Burning Bush Festival. And uh, he's been working on some software to take the entire Preparing You site and reconvert it. Uh, I, I thought he was going to reconvert it to PDFs. He can do that, but he can get more interaction if he reconverts it to uh, HTML so that he can actually reconvert the entire site. It won't be a wiki site anymore, but it will be an HTML site and include the audios, everything. So it will be a vast study site. But So, you know, the 15 hours I sat in this chair yesterday putting together different pages and trying to interconnect them. Because we often create more questions than we create answers. <laughs> so, uh, so, so we're answering one question and, and three other questions come up during that answer. Well, we have those answers too. But they're not always in the same article. You have to go over to another article to get those to answer those questions that might arise. If you try to put them all in one article, you'll have a tome, a book, 5000 pages long. And that's that's you know, I've told people that when I first wrote Covenants of the Gods, which is free online, and we have it in HTML and PHP coding uh, on different websites, and we have audios that go with each individual chapter, and it's all free. Uh, but in order to do all that work and put all that together, I started with a book that was over 700 pages long. Well, that's just too much. It's too overwhelming. Uh, so I reduced the original Covenants of the Gods book down to 144 pages. I did the same with Thy Kingdom Come. I've done it with all the books. And I have other books that I'm working on now. But uh, it, this... It, I. Your interaction with me, when you say, I don't get it, why is this if this is so? Because everybody has grips on their individual religious ideology. Because that's what religion has become. It's become an ideology. It used to be the social safety net of society. Even the Teutons, way up there in the north, they had uh, ministers, Sabot. Uh, or their ministers, and people would come and give them all kinds of stuff, you know, uh, just uh, you know, uh, clothing and and bedding and everything, and they were just giving all this stuff. And, and some people thought, well, they just threw it away. No, they gave it away. 
to help with, because, you know, the Teutons were tough. That, you know, they're the Germanic tribes, and uh, when Tacitus went up there, he could not believe how tough these people are. How they work so much. Somebody just showed me a picture, I guess it was, uh, they got it on a Jordan Peterson tweet, is of a lady up in Canada, and she's standing next to her husband. And she showed me the picture, and she said, well, how old do you think this woman is? And I looked at the woman. And uh, I said, well, you know, she could pass for 35, 45 years old. But I'm suspecting, because you asked me that, that she's a lot older. <laughs> she was in her mid-80s, late-80s. And you would not know it. She was, she looked tough, looked attractive, looked uh, fit. I mean, you... You, I would not have guessed her at 50 except for the fact that they asked me how old she was. But she's in her late 80s. Her husband looks a lot older. But she went to a 100% meat diet years and years ago because she had a lot of autoimmune things. And it would reason Jordan Peterson is. He couldn't believe the picture. And it's just a, it's just a standard picture. I mean, she's not, you know, She's just out in her blue jeans and her big belt buckle and she raises cattle and she lives up in Canada with her husband and uh, uh, she looks fit. And it was just a picture they took with somebody else and, uh, you know, actually an athlete from, I think, New Zealand or something. But anyway, and then I just watched, uh, I had it playing in the background while I was trying to do some other things er earlier today some of these web pages and trying to put the message to the Burning Bush Festival together. I, I listened to a show that was with, uh, it's on Epoch TV. And, you, you know, they get to say all kinds of things that would be censored by everybody else. And they're, they're a pretty good part of a, a media network because they actually do a little bit digging. Uh, they don't know as much about the truth as I do, but they do bring in some interesting guests. And he, I just listened to uh, American thought leaders uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Yellick, uh, who uh, is a great interviewer. And he was interviewing Sasha Latipova, L-A-T-Y-P-O-V-A. You probably won't find her on social media because she's been totally banned. But she is a very, very bright woman who has done some real serious research. Fortunately, she had the time to do it and she had the know-how to do it. Uh, she's been in medical research for years. She understands it. She has a great mind where she just rattles off the law, the rattles off the data. And because she just has it put to memory, but they shut her down quick. Because she was looking not only at VARES and, and the equivalent of VARES in other countries, because she uh, was originally raised in the Soviet Union, but she's, she's a Ukrainian who's been owned numerous businesses in the research field. So she's extremely aware of how it all works and how you bring new drugs to market and everything. And she was saying things that were earth-shattering. Uh, that are just huge. And uh, she just says, I want to have the conversation. This is the data. I'm just giving you the data. I can't, I can't speak for what's going on. She was pointing out, we saw early on and reported that Bears was reporting thousands and tens of thousands of adverse reactions. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people 
died within days of receiving the vaccination. Many, probably most, of the people who died were not reported. They're talking like, you know, the data from, you know, sources like Harvard and and Yale who've looked at the, the VAERS system says that the problem with VAERS is it only reports 1% to 3% of the actual cases. Most of the cases don't get reported, but if you have... 22,000 deaths reported within the first week after getting the shot. That means that there's probably 10 to 100 times that. Well, 10 times 22,000 people dead would be 220,000. That's nearly a quarter of a million people. But that's just 10 times. They're saying the likelihood of reporting is down to 1%. So you could go a hundred times that. Now you're talking several million people dead within weeks of getting the shot. And more and more data is coming out along those lines. And and it's shocking, but the effort to stifle the data has been immense. It's been organized. And she's saying that the normal systems that we have to protect us, they've just completely collapsed and are not there, and they're actually working against us. So anyway, if you get a chance to see Sasha's uh, Latapova, uh, I I can't mention what she said on this radio broadcast. I'm not heavily monitored or watched because it doesn't go out to millions of people, but if they go back and find me saying what she said, I will be shut down off of media immediately. Epoch Times is getting away with it, but there will come a time where the Epoch TV will be shut down. They won't let them speak. By then, hopefully, you have been seeking the kingdom long enough that you will have your own network entirely independent of their control and and separate enough that they cannot stop the truth. From getting around. But you're a long ways from that right now. But anyway, so I gave you that name. You have to do your own research. I, I really recommend the Epoch Times or Epic Times, as some people will say. I've heard that, uh, the guy who founded it say it both ways. So I don't know. But uh, th- they are a great source of data and information. So, you know, it's up to you to... Do your own research. If you're ministers, that would be good for you to have that and share it privately. If you share it on open social media, then you will, you'll you'll go on a list. You'll go on a list. I'm sure I'm on a list. There's no two ways about it. But uh, what we're trying to do is create a network that's not on a list. We're trying to keep a separate list. <laughs> and in our list, we're going to find out who's naughty and nice. <laughs> Who's seeking the kingdom and who's not seeking the kingdom? Yes, yeah, somebody pointed out that uh, when when and if things get bad, the people are going to know that we're out here, and they're going to think, "Well, we'll just go there," and that they'll get 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 a shelter and they'll get us food and they'll get us. Not if you're not already sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And the fact is, is there's a lot of things, a lot of things, 
I don't tell anybody. And you're not going to see it on my emails. You're not going to see it on my social media. You can monitor my phone. You're not going to find out. <laughs> but if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God, I always remember a story during World War II that preachers who were too outspoken about liberty and rights and and uh, kind of opposed some of the things that you saw going on in the Nazi party, Brown Church would show up and beat them up. Beat the minister up. Beat the congregants up. Smash and grab everything in the church. They couldn't meet in the church anymore. It was a total shambles. So they would meet somewhere else other than the church in different places every week. All through the uh, World War II when they were literally some of them were working underground. They had meetings and people showed up at every meeting. And there were people that used to be a part of the church and they would come and say, well, where, where are you going to have the meetings? Where are they at? And they they say, well, we're, we're not telling you. You have to pray to God. He'll tell you when the meetings are going to be. Some people always showed up to the meetings. They just guessed. They just knew where they were going to be. And they were different places all the time. And other people never found them. And I thought, that is an interesting story. <laughs> so I remembered it. It was a long time ago. I have no other details really than that. But that's very kingdom. The kingdom will tell you where you need to go, where you need to be. But in the meantime, the reason you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands is you have to start listening for the needs of others. I know I get people give me excuses all the time. Oh, I can't, I can't pick a minister because he's a brute, or I can't pick a minister because he doesn't, he doesn't know this ideology, or he doesn't fit my character uh, of what I think a guy should be to be a minister. I can't be attached to him. You're not attached to him. You're showing up for everybody that shows up to him. Everybody who picks him as a minister. You show up too. You show up not to support him. But to support those other people. Now hopefully. He will be a good resource to support those other people. And we have a number of different ministers. And they. They have different ways of doing things. And people say well you know why does he do this. And why does he do that. I said well did you ask him. No. Well ask him. <laughs> he's the one doing it. I don't know why he's doing it. I see we lost a bunch of calls. I am assuming everybody is hearing me. So we had a problem with the audio this morning. So I see lots of callers coming back in now that I sent that email out. So anyway, the technical difficulties are, are decreasing as our skill improves. So anyway... So, the only thing that anybody might have missed, and I probably already... No, I, I said our Epoch TV uh, had an interview uh, with uh, Sasha Latipova, who is a Ukrainian lady. Nothing to do with the Ukraine. I don't think we should be in the Ukraine. I think we could end that war really quick. And I think it's all part of, you know, some sort of bizarre conspiracy that people are making money and destroying... The America, but uh, or at least the United States. But uh, our goal is to seek the kingdom and get around that. But Sasha 
has done a lot of amazing research. She has a brilliant mind. She understands uh, things that are going on and she wants to have the conversation. So unless you see her on the Epoch Times, you'll probably not find her anywhere because they've just about banned her because she just tells too much truth. But anyway, uh, I, I recommend the Epoch Times for a source of news. But what I was saying uh, when my mic was not connected was uh, that uh, we need to create... I can't say what she said there in her interview. She says it better, so I'll leave it to her. Uh, and I'll have the conversation with other people. But the fact is, if I said it, we would be banned. Uh, the more truth you tell, unless you tell it very cleverly, you will get censored today because there's a war against the truth going on today. But what we need to do is create the alternative to the Roman Empire, to the uh, media madness, so that we can get information around about us. And I told the story earlier, it'll be on the final recording. But um, we need to do that. And that's what Christ knew they needed to do too. So he commanded that everybody sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And like I say, people have excuses all the time why they can't do it. Oh, I got to do this, or I don't approve of this minister, or I don't know, I don't want to sign anything. I don't want to be on a Google group. The reality is we're in this planet. We have to come together because not what we want, but because we want to make sure that everybody gets what they need, especially those that are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's your goal, to go that way and do things that way. And so you need to sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And I don't know how long it took 5,000 men and their families to organize themselves in that way. I'm sure some of them already were. But they had to sit down and verify, I'm in this group. Uh, and, and this group is connected to that group. And this group is connected to that group. Like my little graft up there on our network links. So that we're rings within rings. And uh, that's one of the things that they talk about. They have some very peculiar words when they talk about the Urim and Thummim that I talked about this morning, which some Orthodox Jews think are shiny rocks kept in the pocket of the royal priesthood robes that include a breastplate and an ephod apron, which I don't think that those words really have anything to do with a breastplate or an ephod, or carving the names on a breastplate of all the children of Israel. Now, of course, they couldn't do that with everybody, so they supposedly carve the 12 tribes. Interesting thing, I've seen artist renditions of that breastplate, and there's only eight things on there, so what happened to the other tribes? But uh, the reality is it doesn't really have anything to do with things. It's not witchcraft. It's not magic. And uh, it's it's about the Spirit of God dwelling in you, showing you what to do, which goes back to that story I told when my mic was off, and we'll be in the final recording. But um, we we need to come together because that's how God will change us. When we start hearing the voice of others, when we start coming together, not for what we want, 
but for what we want to share with others, including people we don't even know. And when you start doing that and casting your bread upon the waters, there's a spiritual event that can start taking place where God can open your eyes and help you overcome all the other things that the Thummim is talking about. Because the Thummim is actually a word that some say means perfection. It actually means taking it to the next level. <laughs> it means completeness. It's 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 connecting. You know, like there's different ways you can connect electrical current. You can have a single, like number 12 wire. Or number 10 wire. Number 14 wire. That number 14 carries much less current than a number 10 wire. But they're copper wires. And they're big, thick wires. And uh, 10 is thicker than 12. And 12 is thicker than than 14. And 14 is thicker than 16. And those are gauges. So it's just a reverse of what you think. But different current can go over those wires. Also, the different substance of those wires can bring a different current as well. Copper doesn't carry, or copper does carry a current much better than aluminum, but doesn't carry the current as well as gold does, or silver but copper carries it pretty good and copper is fairly cheap so they make a lot of wire out of copper. Well, there's another way they can do it. That copper can be put in lots of little strands that add up to 12-gauge wire. But because it's in all those little strands that it can actually carry more electrical current. And then there's another way to carry electrical current. And that they've actually discovered that recently. And it's, it's like a unified field, but it's, uh, you know, in order to get a superconductor, normally you had to take some materials, some specific materials, some work better than others, and cool them down. And what that cooling down is doing is decreasing the activity in that conductive material. And it, that material becomes a superconductor. It can conduct all kinds of electricity that a normal, uh, normally those materials could not conduct. But they've now come up with a superconductor that does not need that lower temperature. And they're discovering that. Well, those things that they're discovering in the physical world actually apply to things that are in the spiritual world. Christ could come and breathe on guys and say, receive the Holy Spirit. He could send them out two by two and say, you know, you'll have the power to cast out demons and heal people and all this stuff. And they did. And and they had this extra power that was being conducted through them. And this is why I say, you know, people ask the question in, in the book Sense and Sensibility, is love a feeling or a fancy? And I t- tell people, love is a utility. Of course, I'm talking about the love of God as a utility. It's not your your, your physical love for somebody else. Your, your, your uh, fleshly love for somebody else. Your desire. You know, the hormones and all that stuff for somebody else. That That's like you know, aluminum wire. <laughs> it can carry some current, 
But it's very limited in its capacity. And if you get too much current, it'll melt down lower temperature than copper. But the, the conductivity you want in the spiritual realm, it's still the power of God being conducted through you, but it's not dependent on the chemistry of your hormones. And this is where people will be able to heal. The people will be able to stop the enemy in their tracks. People will know, I need to go this way. That's a gift. I can't give it to you. You can do all the studying you want. You can contemplate your navel and and Eastern meditations (laughs) and whatever you want. You're not getting it. Because you got to plug into another source. You you can plug into emotional so, sources and heal people. I've told stories about that. Guy was very good at healer. He he couldn't heal on his own. He always had to have a group. And if you get this group together, they all hold hands and they go through certain rituals and everything, and they would heal people. The healing didn't always last as long as you would like, but they did heal people. But then one day, he suddenly felt very ill and they rushed him into emergency surgery. I think he was going to Bonn, Germany or somewhere. And uh, when the surgeons opened him up, they said his tissue in his body was just black. It was just necrosis everywhere. Because what he was doing is taking energy from one person and passing it to another. He had that ability. I know people have that ability, but I caution them of that. You do not want to take one energy from one person and pass it to another. Uh, Narcissists are good at taking energy from people. They don't always give it to other people. But a narcissist who's pretending to be a healer, he could do that. But it will burn you up. It will destroy you because there's residue that come from those people and the residue will remain in you. And and can make you very ill and sick. Now that's on a metaphysical level. And I don't want people to learn things on a metaphysical level. I want God to be your teacher. Now how do you God is your teacher? Well you have to draw near God. And allow God to draw near you. Now warning. Warning. When God draws near you it will bring a light. And that light will shine on the dark places of your heart. It will shine on the trauma that is hidden away that you don't want to look at. So there may be pain involved. But in order to get God to draw near you, you have to do the Corbin thing. Corbin means sacrifice. But it has to be the Corbin of Christ. Now, lots of people sacrificed in Judea. And they they sacrificed and served the other people. Uh, but if it was forced sacrifice, it takes that choice out of it. It's not going to have the same effect. It's going to make the Word of God to none effect. You want to make the Word of God to effect, you have to choose to sacrifice. Not when it's convenient. It's convenient for your pocketbook, convenient for your pride. But when God says to do it, not when I say to do it, when God says it, not when somebody guilt trips you to do it, but you got to do it. Because the truth is, if you're going to be priests and kings in your own household, you need to have a pocket there over your heart, <laughs> not in your ephod and your 
your your brass breastplate, but over your heart that has the urim and the thummim in it. The reality is, is this uh, urim and thummim means light of perfection, light of completion. Uh, you know, I talk about turning the light up. I, you know, when I was in those riots, I actually came across uh, where I told that story. I didn't listen to how I told it, but it was evidently mentioned on a video that uh, I think it was 2019, September 31. How did I remember all that? <laughs> Just waited till the picture showed up. <laughs> so, um, and I've added a, a description to it. it. Actually, if you go to 2019, look for riot. I think uh, the, I put the word riot in there so you could find uh, that story. But God turned my that light up during that situation where I was dealing with those hundreds of rioters. And they all stopped and, and just gave me a line through and a protection to walk through. And I, I had no idea what was really going on at the time. I knew something was going on. I can tell that much. But I didn't understand the process. But the reality is it's the Holy Spirit coming and listening where it will. Same thing happened for the Israelites when they were crossing the Red Sea. We have lots of pictures on how the water parted, and it's, most of that's probably wrong. But the water did part for some reason, some way or another. It's very possible that dry land has showed up, or it could be that the water just receded. There was a lot of wind. We know previously there had been a lot of earthquakes. There could have been something happening on the other side of the plant that could have caused all that water at the Red Sea to recede long enough for 600,000 people or whatever it was to walk across. Now, they were, they're bringing wagons. Now, the the wind that had to go across and dry the sand so they could drive those wagons was immense. Uh, and it had to dry them quick overnight. And they said there was wind regularly. But anyway, somehow or other, they were able to move their wagons and all the people and they were getting across to the other side. And they didn't have to fight anybody when they were doing it. Then all of a sudden, all these chariots come rushing down to cross that land bridge also. But then the water started coming back. And the ground started getting muddy. And they started taking off their wheels. And they drowned. I mean, you can go down and scuba dive there and you'll find remains of chariots and wheels and, and bones, maybe. They're all... They're all petrified now, but you or coral then, but you'll find them probably some armor and stuff. But uh, you probably need to get a permit to do that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the reality is is that th- this Holy Spirit, and, and we see it with Christ's work. Christ uh, was being; they wanted to grab him and do harm to him, and he hid himself. Was it like putting the ring on of the Lord of the Rings? He just disappeared. He just disappeared. They, like, where'd he go? <laughs> He's gone. Those are realities that can happen. You can't make them happen. The Holy Spirit can make them happen. But you have to draw near the Holy Spirit, which is not get more emotional. 
Now, you can get emotional and conjure up spirits that can do all kinds of things. But it's, it's, not, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not that separate spirit. It's just other spirits and other emotions. You can conjure them up too. You don't want to do that. That's very dangerous. And get you into a lot, a lot of trouble. So, when we're talking about this, I'm going to talk about Corbin eventually. And then if you want me to talk about a particular topic, you can go into the chat room. And I sent the link so people can go to that link and there will be a chat room on that page. should be if everything's working right. And uh, and type in topics that, or questions that you want me to uh, deal with or ask. And what I'm doing right now is I'm looking up the Hebrew. For the first place, they, they talk about the Umum and Thummim. They talk about it before Exodus 28.30. But if I go to Exodus 28.30, oh, I'm not in the, the right Hebrew. There's different different sources of Hebrew. And uh, I'm kind of fond of the Westminster one. Uh, it's not the best, but again, it, it, we, we try to stay in these for consistency's sake. But when they talk about this uh, uh, Urim and Thummim, they have a word in between them. They say is the word and, and that's the way they translate it. And, and if you open, if you if you take a look at it, it's actually uh, three letters, Bav Elif Tov, that they they put there, and uh, the normal word there for well, Bav by itself can actually mean and. Uh, but Elif Tov is normally not translated. Uh, they say it's an untranslatable accusative mark. But they have this Vav there. And we usually put, when there's a Vav usually at the beginning of a word, we will put an and there because it often that that's what it means. When you find it in the middle of the word, it may have a different connotation, the same as if you find it at the end of the word. But they translate this particular word into and. And uh, a lot of times it's it's not uh, translated by uh, by anything. It's, it just doesn't, it's not a translated word. We We find a similar where because of the fact that it has this bob on it, it appears in other places. Because some, like I say, most of the time it's Elif uh, Tav, but in this case it's Bob Elif Tav. And then, of course, the Thummim word and the Urim word are are critically uh, very con- confusing as to what that really is. I mean, it starts with a hay, ends with a mem in both cases. Both of them have a hay at the beginning, and an M at the end. But Thummim also has a Tav, Mem, Yad, Mem, which is why you get the Thummim. But the Urim has a Elif, Vav, Resh, Yad. Now, 
the word itself can mean light. But um, if you look at the, uh, the, the word and that I said, but has the bob in the front of it, we see that a number of times in the Bible. It, and it's, again, it's not translated into anything. They don't give you any translation of the word, even when they put the vav in front of it. They don't really translate it into a specific word. Uh, but sometimes they'll slip in an and, like we see in this Exodus 28.30. But uh, so when we, the reason I point this out is it's accusative, but they're rather than a conjunction. But they put in an and there like you've got two different objects. The Urim is one object and the Thummim is another object. But if you read the article and go through it with the Holy Spirit, always read all my articles with the Holy Spirit in the room. <laughs> Very helpful. But if you if you read them, the Umim and Thummim, I don't think they're separate objects. I think they're separate aspects of the same thing that needs to be in the heart of the high priest was in the heart of John the Baptist where it was this light and completion. That's why there was very few as good as uh, as John the Baptist who ate locusts and wild honey. Okay? So that's... That's what he supposedly ate, locusts and wild honey, which is interesting because locusts, you're not supposed to eat locusts. I mean, you can if you're really hungry, uh, but you're not supposed to eat it. What you're supposed to eat, well, not you're supposed to eat. I don't want to create dietary rules, but what he was probably eating was carobs and honey. He was mixing carobs and honey. You know what you get if you mix a bunch of carobs, crush it all down to a powder and you... And you mix it with honey and and, and kind of roll it up on a cool night. You got a chocolate candy bar <laughs> because carob tastes a lot like chocolate. Of course, it, it's not as sweet. And right now, I have a jar here, and it's filled with carob <laughs> and, and a little bit of honey. Not very much honey, and. Uh, that's what I, I was going to come in here and drink, but I can already hear my voice going. So, what the the words, and I'm going to repeat this more than once, Urim and Thummim actually has to do with light doing its thing, completing the person. That, that he's let the light in his heart. And Aaron, this was a struggle for Aaron to learn this. We see Aaron screwing up. I mean, he built the golden calf. What was he thinking? And but of course, he, he succumbed to the pressure of the people. They want they do this for us, Aaron. You know, and I get people doing that for me. Do this for me. I need this. Give me this. I, I fix this and all this stuff. Well, I will respond, but I'm not going to respond because you want it. Because I'm not here to give you what you want. I'm, a, I'm here to give you what God wants me to give you. And every one of you have to learn that when you start becoming charitable. You are ministers to your minister more than your minister is a minister to you. Your minister is a minister to others for you. 
He's not your minister. He's not there to wait on you and serve you. You're there to help him do his job right. And in order for him to do his job right, he needs the Urim and Thummim in him. He needs to walk in the light. Now go up by steps, but walk in the light. And you are the only one who can empower him to do that for you. Now, you've already empowered Biden and Trump and the Bushes to do that for you in the past. Now you have to empower people who are seeking to serve. They're not all going to be seeking to serve. But that's your job to keep them on the straight and narrow because the elders of the congregation are the servants of God. In liberty. And one of the things they have to do is minister to their minister so that he will be good at ministering to his minister. And to those people who look to him, he will become a conduit for everybody's love. And it won't be like that German healer who was healing all kinds of people, but when he was opened up, his body. The, the surgeon said they had never seen so much black flesh in a human body. They said it was as if he was burnt. It was so black. And of course it was like cancer. But it was because he had all these other identities flowing through him with no protection. Because he was good at that. He, he could get other people to give him energy and he would give it to others. Because he was a, he was a spiritual narcissist is what he was. Now, now, I never met him. I don't know how evil he was or anything. And he does. I don't have any stories about him being evil. And he thought he was doing good. But that none are good but God. So it's only the Holy Spirit you want flowing through you. You don't have any control over that. So you need to develop control over that by surrendering to God. And one of the first things you need to do is care about others as much as you care about yourself. So anyway, I'm going to go back there and see if that guy said, oh, we got a lot more callers now, but they don't have their hands up. But anyway, uh, so how do you get the Urum and Thum in your minister? He's supposedly committed himself to some degree or another, there's different levels of ministry, to serving the people. He has some sort of vision of the uh, of the kingdom of God, and and he he thinks it's better than what he has seen <laughs> offered by the world. So he has volunteered to be a minister. Some people have picked him. And he he may be good at speaking. He may not be good at speaking. He may be good at, you know, uh, remembering stuff. Maybe he's good at fixing stuff. Maybe he's just good at mowing lawns. I don't know. Um, he might have health knowledge to help people with their health issues. The fact is, is he is simply a connection to the other 90 people in the first hundreds of the network. And he may need lots of help. He may not be good at certain things. And he may need lots of help. And the other elders should help him. But he's just, he's just that dot connection. He's where you hook in the wire. Each of you choose to give to him. And then he chooses to give to others. He's going to need your counsel. Because everybody in a congregation 
of elders, which it should be a congregation of elders. We have some young people out there that don't have a family. We have some women who don't have a family. We have some men who don't have a family, or they had one and lost it. Or, or maybe they have it in some sort of interim where they still have some visitation or whatever. But if they still think of themselves as the head of a family, they can be an elder. But you can be in a congregation without being an elder in that congregation. An elder is the head of a family. If you're not the head of a family and you want to be in a congregation, you can still get together in a congregation. And the truth is, is what you should probably do is the find a family in that congregation and see if they'll adopt you. Even if you're 50 years old or 60 years old or like that woman I talked about in the first part of the show, 80 I think she's 88 years old. She doesn't look a day over 42. And she could easily pass for 35 in the photograph anyway. But um, the reality is is that, you know, the, the kingdom is about relationships with people. The fundamental relationship of mankind is a man and a woman and their children. And their children's children and their children's children's children. So if you had 5,000 elders and their families, now I don't know that they were elders. It says 5,000 men in their families because they they might be counting the, the grandfather, his sons, and their sons. But what really I want to see is you proficient at drawing near the Holy Spirit. Remember, Corbin is a word that comes from a Hebrew word that means to draw near. And it, it's korban. It has an in at the end, which is a nun. And the nun is the fish. That's, that's something in motion in the water. And so this korban, uh, kuf, biet, resh, that's, that's the, every single, you know, I've talked about in, in the Roman language, uh, they have the imperium. And the potestas and the imperium was originally in every family. In the imperium, there was two kinds. One had to do with defense against foreign attacks. And the other one was a defense against internal attacks. You know, like if you end up living next door to a narcissist or a robber or a burglar or whatever. And you may need help against that individual if he tries to do something bad. And so you had the right to protect yourself. That's internal. And then you also had a right to protect against foreign invasion. So they had different words for this. And it's the same way with your Corbin. That the state, the the non-corporate state, is in the hands of every head of every household. Each family is a unit unto itself. So if you get ten families that gather together, is that an altar of stone? No. It's only an altar of stone when ten ministers who have qualified to be ministers gather together. That's an altar of stone. Now there's there's other altars of like uh, sedimentary rock. <laughs> Not quite stone, but but part of it. And that would be the Nephidim, which we'll talk about when we go through Ezra. And that's really what our licensed ministers are. They're not licensed by me. I recognize that they're licensed. They're not ordained ministers. They're not separate. 
They're still a part of the world. They may want to not be a part of the world, but we're all wake up in bondage. Aaron was a priest in Egypt. And he was already exempt. Uh, Moses was exempt because he was the adopted son of the daughter of Pharaoh. So he was not of the world. He was separate. All the priests in Egypt were separate. They never went into the bondage of Egypt. Aaron was not really probably in the bondage of Egypt as a priest. Now, I don't know the whole story of how he got to be the priest. He may be descendant of the priest in the family of Joseph. Joseph was in the bondage of Egypt. But he was given all kinds of power by the Pharaoh. So you can be in bondage and have all kinds of... Everybody wants to get rid of their numbers. Not the way to go. The system will collapse. You know, it It may be right. It may be your calling to come out of the system and be separate. But the real calling is to get the system out of us. And the way to get the system out... I can't do that for you. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. Because it's the only thing that can clean the corners of your personal internal temple. But you have to let that spirit in. Which takes us back to the Urim and Thummim. Which are inside. It's not inside a pocket on your apron. Underneath your brass plate. That, that they talk about breastplate. That is supposedly sewed with a very complex set of words that, you know, and they talk about rings and rings and rings and sewed with blue thread. I mentioned once in our study on Exodus what blue thread is. <laughs> it's not blue and it's not thread or cordage. But they, it can be. The same word could mean that. But the mind of Moses was amazing because he was close to the mind of God. Layers and layers in, in that guy. So, the breastplate, which is not a breastplate, is less through, laced through rings that are on the breastplate that is not a breastplate. And those rings are not a ring. But through that, those rings, there's another set of rings on your ephod, which is not an ephod. <laughs> and they're laced together with blue thread. And on the outside of the ephod, there is a girdle. Not just a normal girdle, but it translates to a curious girdle. <laughs> so, what's a curious girdle? <laughs> so, there's... It's a code, man. It's a code within a code within a code. Which uh, takes me back to that that lady from um, the Ukraine, that brilliant doctor and scientist who, she sees patterns. I, I've, I was looking at her and I was seeing certain patterns in her own face and her muscles. She looks very young for a retired woman. But uh, I saw certain patterns in, in her own face. But she was looking at the data and she evidently had that she's probably autistic <laughs> or on the spectrum. But she saw patterns. 
And she did what I did not do. I mean, I looked up bears and I, I was watching in the pattern. But she went and looked at lot numbers. Because every time they fill out a report, not just anybody can fill out a report. They have to include the lot number of the vaccine or the injection that they that the patient who had the adverse reaction received. And they have to put it down. And she was looking at lots and she would see that one lot, which is many, many injections, had like four or five adverse events. That was it. To and I don't know how many is in a lot, but a lot is in the lot. But then she'd find another lot where there are thousands of adverse reactions. So those of you who've had the shot and you think, oh my gosh, I've been poisoned. Well, you may have got a bad batch, which is a good batch because it didn't do anything. <laughs> also, uh, there's studies coming out that there are things that can you can take internally that can neutralize those proteins. And uh, and this is why they, they have a whole program now to force vaccinate cows everywhere in the world. Certainly everywhere in the United States and Canada. They want to force vaccinate them with new mRNA. You have no idea what they're up to. God knows everything that they're up to. And you probably have no personal protection against this. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. But anyway, she saw these patterns in the numbers of the lot numbers. And you say, she said, that should not exist. Because it's an alpha numerical lot number. There's alphabet letters and numbers to identify each lot. She saw a pattern that replicated itself from country to country. That it didn't matter, you know, over over several years, these patterns that there's statistically no way to do that. But what it is is they're marking down what lot has what in it. They know, maybe. There seems to be some problem with the manufacturer, but nobody gets to see them manufacture this. There's no oversight. This is all by mil- She had the codes in her head. I stumbled across some of those codes, mentioned them in past programs. She had, a, had them all in her head. She knew exactly. She, she's been in the business. She was good. Amazing woman. And they shut her up almost immediately. But we need to have people like her in the network. And they, w- they will come when God is ready. But... Yeah, this is a plan. And Klaus Schwab didn't think of it. It's not, it didn't come out of his brain. That guy's just a total pervert. I mean, a weirdo, weirdo, strange, bizarre pervert. (laughs) And Noah Harari, he's, he's a puppet. But he's a, he's a spiritual puppet. He's a puppet of the spirit. Spiritual realm is controlling him. But these are just things I see. It's these patterns in the universe. But, you know, I could be all wet. I could be absolutely wrong. It doesn't really matter. What you need to do is bring the Holy Spirit into you. And again, the way to do that, the way to get your Urim and Thummim, your perfecting light, is to be willing to see the truth. If you're still listening, I see lots of phone calls. <laughs> They're listening. 
and I assume there's more people on the net listening, you need to do something that will draw you near the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit near you so they can start writing upon your heart and your mind. It's very slow, uh, non-invasive, uh, almost undetectable process. You won't even know how much it is changing you. And, and the reason why, I'll give you another analogy. I, I talked to somebody about it just this morning. That, you know, Rome used to, their entire social welfare system was supported by free will offerings. That's the way Rome organized originally when they became a republic. Because that's the nature of a republic. That's the way America was when it was a republic. The United States federal government is not a republic. It's an indirect democracy. How do I know that? I read the book. I read the Constitution. <laughs> They're describing an indirect democracy that was created by the Constitution for the purposes of guaranteeing a republican form of government. The, the Constitution didn't create a republic. It created an indirect democracy. Now, people don't want to believe that because somebody told them the United States is a republic. America was a republic. All the states were republics. The state governments were often indirect democracies. They varied a little bit based on, you have to read each individual constitution. But a republic, a true republic, you're free from things public. Well, even in America, you weren't entirely free from things public. They could impose tariff and excise taxes. But that has to do with commerce. That has to do with foreign um goods being brought into America. They couldn't regulate commerce between the states, but they could regulate commerce with foreigners outside of the states. So they could impose tariff and excise taxes. I wouldn't have given them that power. <laughs> but they, they had it to some degree to begin with, but that's what they were doing. But they created the United States federal government to guarantee you a Republican form of government. Because you weren't citizens of the United States. You were citizens in the, in the individual states. And the, in our article on citizens, which you can go look up, we quote the definition of citizens. And there are two different kinds of citizens. Basically, there can be lots. I mean, there's like five different passports in England for the different categories of citizens. In America, there's basically two. But you don't want either one of those passports. But that's... You know, I'm not going to tell you what you can have and can't have. But if you're seeking the kingdom, you'll want one of those passports. But the real passport that you'll get, which is why I mentioned the story about the rioters who opened up a corridor so that I could walk through. That's the passport you want. And that passport is by way of the Urim and Thummim. <laughs> Hard to say. Urim and Thummim. Uh, which is that light. Now, I didn't have that light. I have no control over that light, but God gave me that light to show me how it works. And so, now I have to strive daily for that perfection, and you have to do so too, because that's my job. But God is only going to give me power to do what He wants me to do. I would be, I was supposed to have died before I was 21. And now I'm a little older than 21. <laughs> All my doctors who predicted my death 
are dead. <laughs> so anyway, um, you get that by personal sacrifice. That doesn't mean send me money. I mean, it could mean that. But what it means is your personal sacrifice, whether it's time or energy or pride or arrogance or vanity, all those things got to go. And you have to sacrifice them on the altar of your life. Now back to, you're an elder of a family. You're, or you're just an isolated lone wolf out there. You're not an elder of a family. You're maybe a woman, maybe a young man or whatever. And your dad doesn't have anything to do with this. Or your young daughter. Eventually you want to get into a congregation. And at least have a surrogate adoption by one of the families who can tolerate you and you're willing to serve that family. And then you don't even have to tithe. Even though you're an adult, you wouldn't have to tithe. You could tithe to the father of that family and he would tithe to the minister. Because in essence, all those people who gather together in that ten families... The actual family members, the adopted family members, they're not really adopted. You don't have to get adoption papers. But, you know, you've become a part of this family. All those people together in one free assembly. It has no corporate nature to it. It doesn't hew away at you at all. But that, that group of people is an altar of clay. We call it a core. C-O-R-E. Congregation of Recorded Elders. And uh, if it records the elders, then all their family, their servants, their adopted children, their stepchildren, everybody are covered by his deal. And then they, hard times come, and you're in good standing with your congregation, we may find a place for you somewhere. In the, the vast network of God's kingdom. But if you won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, I do not know you. And this, Christ is very clear about this. It seems almost heartless. This Christ who loves everybody, he says, Get ye from me, I know you not. I never knew you. That's what he's saying. My goodness. What a selfish guy. No. That's tough love. He, he warned over and over again that you needed to gather together, not forsaking the gathering together. Uh, don't listen. The, the ones with the excuses, they're the dead. Now, they can emotionally think, oh, no, I know Jesus and I'm, I'm saved and all this stuff. But you're not trying to save anybody else. The whole family, including, you know, his father, Jacob, went into the bondage of Egypt. All their servants, all their children, all their domestic servants, and all, they had lots of those things. It wasn't just those twelve sons; it was their wives and their and their maids and their servants and their field hands. They you attached yourself to a family in one capacity or another, and you served that family. You didn't make it on your own. Nobody was trying to make it on their own. Today, they try to make it so you can make it on your own. But God didn't make you to make it on the own. He made you to come together with other people. But that's an altar of clay. All those people. 
But they all went into bondage because they would not hear the cries of Joseph in the bottom of that pit. Their envy, their jealousy, their pride, their arrogance, their shame, whatever it was, kept them from hearing the cries of Joseph. I don't know what happened to the Ishmaelites. They're still having all kinds of trouble. But they took their cousin and sold him into bondage. Horrible, horrible thing to do. So, today, the average American has absolutely openly and willingly put their neighbor into bondage so that they could have a fire department, so they could have a police force, so that they could have public education, and eventually, when they became U.S. citizens, to have health care and Social Security. That Social Security is not the Jehovah Nisi altar that Moses created. Because the Jehovah Nisi altar that Moses created, the only thing you could give on that altar, that table, had to be free will offerings. The, that's FDR Nisi. <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt Nisi. He doesn't, he's not going to wait for free will offerings. He's going to make you contribute. Well, that's how you know you're not free. James said, look at what they're doing. Well, you know, if you don't have the right to choose what you're going to give in the altar, then you're not free. And again, like I said, Rome, what they, and I was starting to explain this one thing where Rome, when they were going to... The original temples were just areas. A temple wasn't a building. It was an area. But they were living in huts. And then their huts became wooden structures and they began to... Then they began to build out of stone. And the first stone were pretty crude. But, you know, when Rome was finally... You know, when it had uh, retreated to the Seven Hills, it used to be on the coast... But it wasn't a city on the coast. But they had a tidal wave and they moved it in uh, to the city of Seven Hills. It won't help them in the days to come. Because on those Seven Hills, they'll still be trying to get above the high water mark. <laughs> but that's another story. Uh, but the uh, what, what they started to build out of stone... And then they started to build out a big stone. When they first started bringing water down where they wanted to have the city, they built just a ditch. They just dug out a ditch and had water coming down to the city through the ditch. And, of course, big rains and erosion, that wasn't good. But then they were so successful in the republic. As soon as you go to the ways of a real republic, everybody gets successful. Even if you just get little parts and pieces of a republic which is empowering the individual. And of course, the kingdom of God is a republic. That's the only pure republic I've ever seen in history. There may have been some others, but the kingdom of God was a pure republic. But because it comes from the word libera res publica, which means free from things public. When the people are free from things public and the, and the government that is a republic is operating on faith, hope, and charity, prosperity just booms everywhere. If you go to a socialist nation like Sweden and you just roll back some of their controls and give some of the power back to the people and, you know, that their social welfare system is privatized, etc., they, they become successful. 
if we were to just move slightly back, and that's all we're seeing is, you know, Republicans get in and they move it slightly back to that, and prosperity comes. They say, oh, look what we're doing. If you went all the way back to the kingdom, prosperity would just, just ooze out of America. But the reality is you don't have to wait for uh, Trump to set you free. You can just start thinking like a free person. And you can start gathering together. And yeah, you're still going to get restricted. That They're starting to implement mask mandates again and everything. You're still going to get restricted. But if you gather together, what light you do not have, your neighbor may have. Which takes us back to the Urim and Thummim. Because if you look at these things, it talks about lights. Urim is plural. That's why the Mem is there. And Thummim, the extra Mem on the end, makes it plural. So they're not talking about the light, they're talking about lights. And they're not talking about perfection. They're talking about perfections. So they're talking about on many different levels, layers and layers in the kingdom. And so you might be good at this and you might not be good at that. Well, the more that light comes in, the better you'll get at different things. You know, you may, you know, like the tribe of Ishakar could see things far off. My grandmother on my mother's side she could see things far off. She'd see them happen. And she would tell people, you know, those were one of the better stories. There were other stories. There were many, many stories. My mother borrowed my uncle's, oh, well, not my uncle, her uncle's car. And he had a little sports car. This is, this is way back. This would be like in the late 20s, so I don't know what the sports car looked like. But my mom wrecked it. <laughs> She ran off the road. She was just a teenager. And uh, my uh, grandmother knew immediately. She didn't even know she had the car. She, she just all of a sudden knew. And she told my uncle, her husband, Paul, you go out there and find Laura. And he says, why? What, what's the matter with Laura? She's in the ditch. She needs your help. Go find her. She just knew it. And sure enough, there she was. She'd run off the road. She was in the ditch. I don't know if she totally wrecked the car. There was some damage, but uh, I don't know. I knew that uncle later on. I mean, years and years later, obviously. Uncle Ori. And uh, uh, he never brought up the car, so I thought it was okay. <laughs> so anyway. But she just knew that. And then I could tell you story after story of this... I, I, my neighbor, one of my neighbors had that ability too. And, and they did, couldn't control it. And it would usually come when a, you know, an absolutely traumatic event happened. But they're real. There's no way on earth by simply, you know, four cell phones, etc. How did they know? I know somebody else whose daughter died in a traffic accident. She ran into a tree late at night, one o'clock in the morning. And in Wisconsin. And she went through the windshield and was killed almost immediately. At one o'clock in the morning, her father woke up screaming that he broke his glasses. 
he broke his glasses. He put his hands on his face. And his wife said, I knew them. They are our closest neighbors. And he said, she says, you don't even have your glasses on. Your glasses are here on the nightstand. He says, I saw shattered glass. I saw broken glass everywhere on my face. And he couldn't go back to sleep. He just paced around. And eventually in that morning, he got a call that his daughter, at that same moment, went through the windshield. He knew it. How do you know those things? How do those things happen? He doesn't, <laughs> this guy is a sound sleeper. He was a hard worker. And uh, he didn't normally, when he went to bed, there was no waking him up till about four in the morning and when he had to go out and milk cows. But, uh, yeah, that's a real thing. Uh, we, but we have no control over it. And we don't tap into those sources because we're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But the more you tap into those sources, the more light will come into you. If you rub elbows in a congregation or free assembly with other people who maybe on this level, they've overcome that and they have light on this level. But over on this level, they still live in darkness because we're multi-factional creations. There's many different parts to us. Livers and lungs and kidneys and all these things represent parts of our spiritual existence. And we may have, we may see light here, but we may not see it here. But when you come together in that altar of clay, that core, that congregation of record, His light will shine in your darkness. As you develop trust for one another, as you sacrifice for one another, not just in your congregation, but for other congregations, that's very important. You will start to sh- shed light. Oh, and I've told the ministers before, now you think of this on a congregational basis. The job of a minister, besides the obvious job of helping you cast your bread upon the waters, because that's, that's one of their critical responsibilities, is that what they receive, they need to pass up to their minister so he can pass it out to others. First as a wave offering and then up to the next level. And and it's hard to grasp these things because we don't think. And then when you're talking about passing it up, it's up a hierarchy of service. It's not up a hierarchy of authority. Right now, when you on April 15th, you pass up your sacrifice to a hierarchy of authority because you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You've abandoned, you've rejected the ways of God. And so now you have leaders who take and take and take and take and take. Exactly what they said would happen to you in Samuel 8. And now you cry out. And they tell you, go cry unto the God you have chosen for yourself. Go elect another Trump or, uh, or, uh, was it Kennedy or Vivek, uh, Ras, Ramaswamy. I can't, I can't remember his name. Uh, I mean, they're better choices than Biden, but they're not going to solve your problem. Because the problem is you haven't been going towards the kingdom of God. And to you can't really imagine the kingdom of God. You can see little bits and pieces of it. But it's absolutely essential because you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome what is coming. You know, they've, they've done a lot of tests now 
lots of studies are showing that ivermectin, besides being a great uh, protection against parasitical things like river blindness, which is a parasite-driven disease, and other uh, parasites. I mean, everybody's got parasites. Almost nobody doesn't have parasites. I don't want to tell you all the stories about parasites. People I know that were just eaten up and, and, and their bones turned to cottage cheese. First farm cheese and cottage cheese. But uh, they just, and they were so racked, and they were the, the I warned them years before. You know, it's like uh, the guy up there in Wisconsin. I warned him about it, and he has all kinds of problems. It's parasites. Uh, I told him once, standing in his barn, he did something. I said, don't do that. And he says, why not? And he says, because you're going to burn your barn down. And he says, well, I'm pretty careful. I says, yeah, but your kids are going to see you, and they're going to do that, and they'll burn your barn down. And he goes, and he just, you know, shakes his hand, Kind of frowned. Oh, he didn't. Want to go listen to me? Well, I was telling him because the Holy Spirit told me, "You're gonna burn this place down." Well, it burned down <laughs> exactly the way I said. Several years later, I was in another guy's house and I told him, "You're gonna burn this place down. You got to get all that stuff away from your fire." I mean, it's, it's common sense, but I saw. A flash of the place burned down. It, it, I, I don't. It wasn't very distracting. It was just like a blink. But I saw it, and I said, "You're going to burn this if you don't do that." He didn't do it. He burned the place down. Almost killed his wife and himself. He did lose his dog. I was. I, I've told you the story before too. I was in the Carolinas, and I told him. I said, "Your firewood is too close here." He says, "Oh, we have it there all the time." I says you're gonna it's gonna catch on fire. And I didn't say it was gonna burn down because that's what I didn't I didn't see that. I said I saw it was gonna catch on fire. It caught on fire within twenty four hours. They were throwing the wood out the the sliding glass door. <laughs> Nobody came and says, You're a prophet. You said that. I'm not a prophet. Holy Spirit is a prophet. Holy Spirit is not subject to time or space. And, but, you know, don't believe me. But, know this. The Holy Spirit lists it where it will. You have no control over it. But, if you start to hear the cries of your neighbor, don't curse the darkness. Don't curse the evil that's in the darkness. Don't curse your leaders. Don't curse FDR. Don't curse, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody who's really bad. <laughs> But you know who they are. <laughs> but you, you don't need to focus on them. You need to focus on doing righteousness. You don't do it to create the social bonds. You just know that the social bonds will be a product, a byproduct, of caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. We've, we've tried caring about ourselves more than we care about our neighbors. That's why we have public schools and fire departments and Medicare and Medicaid and, and, uh, out of control politicians spending billions and billions of dollars to kill Ukrainians. You know, there were a lot of labs in the Ukraine. <laughs> I, I'd like to ask that lady. <laughs> Sasha. We'll just call her Sasha. 
I'd like to ask her about some of that because she probably knows a lot about that. She seemed like just a bright person. You could just see the light in her. But who knows? Uh, I don't see, I see some light in uh, Jordan Peterson, but I see an awful lot of anger. And that's anger and pride is one of the great tools of hell. We'll call it hell. The the lesser realms. And and there are such real realms. You don't have to worry about them. You have to worry about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness because those realms have no power against the light. Those are realms of darkness. Remember, darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. It's the absence of the Urim, which is multiple lights on multiple levels. It's not a rainbow, <laughs> but it's multiple levels and frequencies of light. And you want that in every aspect. And, you know, when I talk about aspects, I can talk about the virtues like courage and, you know, fortitude and perseverance and, and all these virtues. But when they're talking about these multiple lights, they're not just talking about those virtues because even those virtues have multiple layers, multiple layers of courage. Multiple layers of perseverance. And the more that grows in you, the more you will become a peculiar people. And I don't mean peculiar in just being odd. I mean being a real people. A peculiarity. So, anyway, we've gone through quite a bit of time. What we're going to look at, uh, I'll mention, uh, I've added the page Trajan. We have a page for Ignatius of Antioch, which has nothing to do with the Jesuits. This is long before the Jesuits. <laughs> and uh, who is also Ignatius. I've added a lot to that page. And we have some audios on there that are really good audios if you want to listen. But all of our audios are on Spotify. I don't know if they're all on there. But a lot of them are on there. And uh, they go back ten more years. They They just got them all on there. So... Uh, and you can, if you know of another podcast that you like better than Spotify and they have our audios posted on the Google group so we know, uh, share these articles with other people. When these recordings come out, share them with other people. The more people we start bringing in the network and the more of you who actually sit down and become viable members of congregations of record, which are altars of clay the more we can start to do the things that we need to do that will we don't want to do too much because then we will attract people by our success. But then when the persecutions come, a lot of them will fall away. The only way you will stick with this is that God is actually writing upon your heart and your mind and not your imagination. So you need to do that. Like I said, we, we're working on these pages all the time. If you find mistakes, you know, typos or uh, coding mistakes or any of that stuff, you should be, you can actually get the privilege of fixing them yourself by joining a congregation and then contacting people like uh, uh, Brother Caleb and he can make you an editor on the wiki site and we can start cleaning up a lot of these pages so that that uh, those pages are uh, more pristine, less imperfections. Because, you know, 
a lot of times, you know, I'll I'll get interrupted and I'll leave a sentence unfinished or I'll type an I where I wanted to type. You cannot read 90% of the keys on my keyboard anymore. And this is not my first keyboard. <laughs> I wear them away. They disappear. <laughs> so they're just, they're all they are splotches uh, on the keyboard. And I've tried to mark them so that you could see them and everything. I don't always look when I'm typing, but uh, they're just wore away. And it's because I have rough hands. Because the other, when I'm not doing this, I'm out there working. But anyway, I went to the page on uh, Corby. And, and the word Corby may have some connection with Corbin. But I have to go back probably pretty far in order to do it. Because the original word Corby, it, it, it comes from a Latin word, but it comes to us by way of Latin through French, and which is why we see Corvi with two E's on the end. And uh, as I say, you know, I've quoted this before, History of Slavery by Susan Everett. But and I started out, Slaves never became an important ingredient of Egyptian civilization. The large subject population an enforceable Corvi system by which serfs had to work temporarily as slaves made a permanent force of slaves unnecessary. So they didn't have a permanent form of slavery. But yes, they did. It's, it's still involuntary servitude, but it wasn't all the time. And according to Joseph, it was 20% of the time. Now you could give 20%, you could work all year in your fields and give 20% of your grain to the temple of Egypt. And it just went to, they didn't have to farm. They just received that grain from all the grain farmers, 20% of their farm. And 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 they could receive vegetables and all this stuff. But usually what these systems, when they first start out, they're only talk, taxing you on your bulk item. If you had cattle, and you had 100 cows and you got 100 calves, they get 20% of the calves. They get 20 calves. If you have 100 sheep, they'll get 20 sheep. If you have 200 sheep, they'll get 40 sheep. And it will go to them and they'll have fields where they graze them at. Now that wasn't a big deal in Egypt because most Egyptians were vegetarians because they were mostly growing garden crops. But they grew a lot of grain, especially in Goshen. And part of the reason why is they needed the straw. They couldn't grow enough grain in Goshen for the amount of bricks they needed to make. But Goshen was able to drag that clay up from the silt because it's far enough out. They had a lot of clay sediment forming there. So they would drag that clay up and and make bricks. And they, like I said, they had freight wagons that would haul these bricks all over and bring straw back from other places. And their freighting industry expanded greatly when Pharaoh said, I'm not giving you any more straw. I'm not delivering it to you. You're going to have to go get it yourself. But your brick tally can't diminish. And see, this is because they had implemented these taskmasters. used to be that you make 100 bricks, 20 of them go to the Pharaoh. You make 1,000 bricks, 200 go to the Pharaoh. But then what the Pharaoh does is he comes along and says, well, you made 10,000 bricks last year. I think you could probably make 12, you know, 12,000 bricks every year. So you have to give me, uh, 
20% of those bricks. And you're expected to give it to me no matter how much clay comes down in the river, <laughs> how many days it rains and you can't dry the bricks. You know, they got to fire those bricks too. They don't just dry them. They got to fire them. Well, what are they firing them with? Well, if they have cattle, you can fire bricks. They're not very good bricks. Because you can fire bricks with dung. Your water filters. See, they were good with clay. So you take, you take the same clay you make a brick with. And you mix chaff in with it. You just knead it right into the clay. And then you make a bowl out of it with all this chaff in the clay. And you make it very uniform. You know, maybe a half inch thick. You know, all the way around. And then you have to dry it. And you have to dry it completely. Can't have any moisture in it. It might not be quite a half inch. You might not need a half inch thick. You can probably make it thinner than that. But now you've got all this chaff in there. Now you you pile up dry cattle dung. And then you put the, all your little vases that you made in that cattle dung. And then you pile more cattle dung on top of it. And you pile more straw on top of that. And then you light a fire. And you fire that clay. You, you fire all that straw and manure off. And it will burn at about seven to 800 degrees in there. It will get so hot, it will literally burn that chaff mixed into the clay. And will turn that chaff to... Charcoal. Because there's no air in there. You don't want air in there. But it's going to turn it to charcoal. Now, if if this vase kind of comes to a point, you can put it up in a little wooden stand. You can pour river water into it that is full of red tide, maybe full of cholera, full of other bacterias. You can pour it into the top of that and it will drip through that clay. But it will be pure water when it drips through the clay. They knew how to make that. They weren't going to get cholera. They weren't going to get diphtheria. They weren't going to, the red tie would not go through that clay. Because it had that charcoal filtering system in the clay that they needed into it. They knew how to do that. Now you know how to do that. We would love to do that. We, we, we had people making pottery at the White Rock Festival in the spring. And the White Rock Festival, they came there, they made pottery, and they fired it. Some of it worked out a little bit better than others. But um, they did it right there on the site. They made bowls. The other guys were making bowls out of gourds. The other guys were making uh, spear points and uh, arrow points and knives out of flint. Obsidian. They brought obsidian down, and they were chipping the obsidian. And we had a big, huge pile of it. We're going to need more if this uh, event keeps going, getting bigger. But that's, you have to pay. They, they get a meal. That's where we started with the mobile kitchen. We're going to have that at the Burning Bush Festival, which is in the fall. But eventually, we're going to move the Burning Bush Festival out there. And everybody's going to camp. Everybody's going to have their own fire. We'll still probably have the kitchen. Uh, and we may have Multiple kitchens. We've got multiple tanks now for portable water, stainless steel tanks that we can move around. And, and of course, we have wells out there, and we may drill more wells. But I figure we can camp thousands of people out there. There's lots of room. But uh, 
I'm not going to do all this myself. You know, I'm I'm getting as old as Joe Biden. <laughs> I can I can I still sprint a little bit every day. <laughs> I didn't yesterday. I spent too much time in here. But anyway, if they didn't have slavery, they had the corvee, which meant eighty percent of the labor of the people belonged to the government. So they didn't need to. And so some people didn't really produce a product that they could give to the government. So they would they would go and work for the government for 20% of the year. They were a workforce. And I was telling other people how this all worked, but this is not the only place they had this. This corvee or statutory labor is unpaid labor imposed by the state on certain classes of people for the poor purposes of performing public projects. And, of course, anybody who has a passport, you can be taken right off the street and put to work in that. So there, but what you're, in order to stop that, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit. So anyway, I talk about the etymology of the word, you know, where did it come from? The Romans uh, had similar words, but they had a thing, you know, when they talk about public works, they called it opera publica, public works. And, but they had the same thing in Sumer and lots of these other Mesopotamian city-states. Uh, and it wasn't, even though we see it most prominently during the feudalism of Europe, it wasn't exclusive to them. We can find it all the way back into ancient times. It's merely a form of taxation. If you, if you don't have a monetary supply of a uniform monetary units, it's very hard to say that, you know, I'm going to tax you on 20% of your income. You have to give me 20% of what you produced in income. We can do that now because of the monetary systems that we've created. And, of course, now they want to go to digital. But everything that you give in, those are your heartbeats. Now, the kingdom of God has to run on funds as well and resources. And But you get to choose whether or not you're human resource to God. And you get to choose who you give it to, when you give it, how much you give, all that stuff. But when you do that, that does not happen without an effect. Just like the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect, the Corbin of Christ made the word of God to effect so that Christians survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And that's what you want to do. But the Israelites people were in a corvee system in Egypt, like I said. But Solomon instituted a similar system to the detriment of Solomon and Israel. And eventually they go to Rehoboam and said that, uh, you know, they wanted their freedom back. They didn't want to be in the corvee anymore. They, they wanted to own their own labor. They wanted to return themselves to their family. They said all their labor belonged to their family. Used to be your wife, they will tax wives. They already tax them in the workplace. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow there was a head tax in Egypt. There's evidence of it. It's not absolutely 100% clear. You know, we've quoted some of the writers of the time, papyrus scrolls that have survived. But there's evidence that 
what they did was if you owe 20% of your labor as a grown adult, you're 30 years old, you had a family, you got to go and work for the Pharaoh for 20% of the year. If you, if you can't pay your obligation with 20% of the wheat that you produce or 20% of the cattle that you produce. Because you could do that too, because people got to eat. So if you're doing that, you might not have to join into the work projects. But if you are a common laborer, you're gonna, you're gonna go off of them. If you're an engineer, if you, you, you will, you will also be pricing. Cause the Israelites weren't all just making bricks. They were doing all kinds of stuff. But your labor belonged to somebody else. Now everybody in America thinks they're free today, but like, uh, Johann von Goethe said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. Americans are not free anymore. U.S. citizens are not free. Australians are not free. We know the Chinese are not free. But the Americans want to think that they're free. That they own their labor. Well, you don't own all, you don't own all of it. You want to think you own your land. We've already showed how you don't own your land. So the system of Corvee from the ancient times to the present day of legal employment are both forms of taxation and would qualify as a form of bondage. It's not involuntary servitude because you signed up. So it's voluntary. And voluntary servitude is absolutely legal. And that, you know, I have absolutely no doubt if some son of a brickmaker showed huge intelligence and, and this is the way it can happen where, you know, just one guy, all of a sudden he's got this son who's smarter than him. Pick up languages. You know, I always remember, uh, I mean, there are people, you know, there was a lady, I can't remember. She was like from the Ukraine or Romania or someplace. She like, oh no, she was uh, uh, from either Afghanistan or Iran. I think she was from Iran. And she came to this country when she was a little girl. And she has got degrees. She can speak seven languages. <laughs> She's just amazing. So there's some Really bright people out there. And uh, and they can all of a sudden show up in a family that the parents are just normal. That, I mean, that's what we see with Moses. Uh, Moses' parents seem to be just normal. But all of a sudden, Moses had all these abilities and qualities. And insight. And it grew. The Urim in him, the light in him grew so much they had to put a cloth over his head because it shined out so other people couldn't stare at him. They couldn't look at him because that light was too much for them. And and Moses couldn't look at Yahweh. That light was too much for him. So this Urim and Thummim, you have no idea you, you have no concept of how much light we're talking about. How many layers of light you're talking about. But we see evidence of it in the scriptures. It's not rocks in your pocket. It's light in your heart. And that light is not going to grow in your heart unless you forgive. And you can tell me, oh, I forgave him. I've seen people tell me that. Yeah, I forgave him. And then... 
you, you bring up his name and you can actually see the scowl <laughs> on their faces. And yeah, it's easy to say you forgive. But, you know, is it time for a group hug? <laughs> but giving to that person that you said you forgive is a test as to whether you forgave or not. And he may be dead and you, you can't give to him anymore. But can you give to somebody like him? I see all kinds of people who say, oh, no, he's not good enough to be my minister. He's not good enough to be in my congregation. That congregation is not good enough for me. I need a better congregation. What vanity. What pride. And nobody was better than John the Baptist. And he was out there drinking his carob juice. (laughs) Good stuff. Of course, now... There's fat in there too. <laughs> Carob and fat and a little bit of olive oil <laughs> and an egg. Uh, yeah, I, 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 raw egg I put in there, but I mixed it up and heated it a little bit. And I need to drink it up before the day's out because it, it could go bad. But anyway, um, I was wondering if maybe my voice might last a little bit longer. So, in the United States, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as the punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Well, that phrase, and remember, you're judged by how you judge. You make the laws that bind you. You do it, you know, with your application for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Is that not a crime? It's in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. But to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor, that's, if the Ten Commandments is a list of crimes, that's one of them. The Corbin of the Pharisees caused the Word of God to be made to none effect. So that sons did no more ought for their parents. They didn't take care of their parents. They weren't the social security for their parents. They did no more ought for their parents. Sound familiar? Uh, that's, that's a crime. If the Ten Commandments are laws, I'm not saying they are, but a lot of people say they are. But if they're laws, and, and in a way they are laws, they're not statutory laws. At least that's, but even the statutes and laws of Moses aren't really statutes. They're judgments. In order for you to judge, to be the jury, the gods of your society, because Jesus said, you also are gods, you're going to have to make choices and judgments. You're going to either tap into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and decide who is guilty and innocent, based on what you know from the knowledge of good and evil, or you're going to tap into the tree of life. Where God is writing on your heart and on your mind. And that little pocket next to your heart. That's under your brass plate and in your ephod. <laughs> which is not a brass plate and not an ephod. <laughs> but that little pocket in your heart. Where God writes upon your urim and thummim with light. That's who I want on my jury if I get tried. <laughs> because I know that if the light is there, there's got to be some mercy there. 
So, this is, you are in servitude. It's not involuntary. You, 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 your parents volunteered. Your parents, according to the common law, can sell their children into an apprenticeship. If there's a, a guy who's an apprentice and he wants to, you know, he, he needs, you know, maybe he's a printer like Benjamin Franklin. He signed an apprentice contract with his brother who was a printer already. And he was supposed to work so many years as an apprentice, you know, stacking type and cleaning type and sorting type and setting up print jobs and, and maybe even writing a few stories. He's supposed to do all that because he was apprenticing. He was going to get paid something, but he wasn't going to get paid much. But he learned it all pretty quickly, and he didn't want to finish out his apprenticeship. So he left his apprenticeship. He dishonored his contract, which is probably why he also had 23 illegitimate children. <laughs> didn't know that, huh? Some of you did. But... uh he he crossed the bay, got a, a ride going across the bay, and I think he had a, a couple pennies, just a few pennies, copper pennies. And he bought three loaves of bread with a penny. <laughs> he was, and he went into business for himself. He wasn't. He was going to eat the bread, but he ended up being very successful. He was a hard worker, but he just didn't want to finish the contract with his brother, some sort of sibling rivalry, probably. But he was in servitude. Why well, was fulfilling his contract? You're in servitude because your parents sold you into servitude. They got taken care of with their social security, but they sold you into the servitude. According to natural law, that's that's illegal. But I'm trying to tell you how to get out of that servitude. And Jesus is trying to tell you too, but really what Jesus is trying to, to do is tell you how to repent, think differently, come together with the righteousness of God so that God could write upon your hearts and your mind and upon your Urim and Thummim so that you would become closer to Him and Him closer to you so that when the unrighteous mammon faileth, you'll survive. This understanding this servitude, but we've been in a servitude to the world, the flesh, and somewhat to the devil, the adversary of God. That's what the devil is, and there's lots of devils out there, lots of people who are devils because they're adversaries of God. But uh, we've been in servitude since Adam and Eve fled the garden. We've been subject to this deception. Because what they were really fleeing was the light. That's why they hid at the beginning. Why they, when the, the, the cherub or whatever that means came there with a, a sword that shined in every direction, they had to flee. The light drove them out. Because they, they didn't want to see. They weren't ready to see. You need to get ready to see. You're not going to do it all at once. Going to do it a little bit at a time. And this structure of the kingdom that Jesus talks about and we're trying to explain is the ideal situation in which to do it. The other elements that is a part of that ideal is that you're in a family. You have a husband and wife and children and domestic servants and adopted sons and stepsons and 
daughters, unmarried daughters, they're all in your family. In that structure of the family, gather together in altars of clay with ministers who are become stones of another altar that is unhewn, gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, creates a network when done through the Holy Spirit that is not subject to time and space. And in the days to come, you're going to need that. I've, I've thought twice now, and I, or three times now, and I, I didn't say anything about it because it seemed off the subject, but I was one of the things they have a study on ivermectin. Well, also at the Epoch Times, they have a video. Uh, it's a doctor. I can't remember his name. Um, should I wait till the Rolodex stops spinning? <laughs> uh, what's his name? Um, I think he, he publishes under Vital Signs. Uh, but he's at Epoch Times. And uh, he, he did a report on ivermectin. Ivermectin, besides being able to stop parasites, it seems to have a unique ability to attach itself to the mRNA protein. Now, they're going to be making new proteins. But I tell you, this goal of annihilating cattle and sheep, mostly the cattle, from the the nation, uh, that that is demonic. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin were keeper of cattle. There's a reason. You know, smallpox... The cure for smallpox was, was cows. The symbiotic relationship of cows with people, which they they did, they saw early on, milkmaids never got smallpox. Other people all around them would get smallpox. They didn't get smallpox. Why didn't milkmaids get smallpox? Because they got immunity from the cows. The idea of injecting all your cows with mRNA vaccination. This is a mass extermination. Now, I said it once. I'm not going to repeat it for those of you who are there. But this this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. And uh, I thought I read something in the Bible once that was a description. But it might have been on another plane. <laughs> but definitely, uh, there are some real plagues coming. I recommend that people start learning the ways of the kingdom before the plagues get here. But uh, people can do what they want. And uh, well, Doctor, I know he interviewed Dr. Pierre Corey. I know who that is, but I can't remember what this other guy's name is. <laughs> it's around somewhere. But anyway, I think he goes under the uh, vital signs. At Epoch Times. So, you you know, you can get a group membership. Well, you, you can get a family membership. And then each of you share the password and you can get in. And, and it's worth supporting them. I don't have much money. Somebody else, uh, well, actually, my wife bought a subscription and I'm in on her subscription. But uh, it there's a lot of useful information out there. 
But the real information, the secret, secret, secret information, only is going to come to you by way of the Holy Spirit. So you want to open up your hearts to the Holy Spirit. And the way to do that is to open up your hearts to others. Because religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. So you have to open up your hearts to your fellow man in a way that strengthens them. Just throwing money at the Red Cross and other charitable organizations is not going to do it. You have to be helping those who are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, which some of you can't always attach because the Holy Spirit lists where it will. So this is, you have to learn to distinguish the difference. It will be absolutely essential. And it will take more and more. But with God's grace, it will happen. But you have to, Christ said strive. Christ said persevere. So that would suggest to me that there is this need for effort on your part. But it's still going to be God that does it. So anyway, there is involuntary servitude in the United States. Now, there's all kinds of definitions of Corby. And if you take it from different periods of time, you're going to get slightly different uh, definitions. And also from different economies. Because the Corby, you know, the Romans had Corby. Uh, Solomon had corvi. Uh, certainly Egypt had corvi, where they actually got like 20,000 men to go and work on a labor project. And uh, Rome did that all the time. They would, they would bill a king with tribute, for tribute. Because, you know, they, the, these kings fell under their authority. And they says, okay, so you have to pay me tribute. Well, they're not going to send Roman tax collectors everywhere in his city. He goes and collects the tax, and then he pays them. Well, sometimes gold was not as prevalent uh, as the tax was high. So they would literally, when they wanted to build a harbor, they would come in with the centurions to do it. And the centurions are running the show but a lot of times, if they needed, you know, uh, 20 tons of dirt removed, they would get a corvee from the local leaders, and they would send them, and that would cancel out their tribute. This is all... Romans were good for business. These are business guys. I mean, even when they destroyed Masada, they had hundreds of donkeys carrying water and food and supplies to Masada for the troops every day. Thousands and thousands of donkeys were involved because the, the trip wasn't a single day. They had to go to another city or village and often several of them in different directions, load up with water and uh, and grain and other supplies that they needed and then transport that out to Masada way out there in the desert to keep the troops fed and watered while they had Masada surrounded. Somebody, if you owned a donkey, you could make years wages working your donkey, working for a month for the Romans. So there were actually Israelites out there that were saying, boy, I hope this siege keeps up. <laughs> they didn't care about those those guys up there on the top of the mountain. They They were asking for it with all their rebellion and and uh, trying to win their freedom with the sword. How crazy is that? The Israelites didn't win their freedom with the sword. They never had to pull their sword against a single Egyptian. And from day one, when I first 
was beginning to see this, you know, so that I could write about it anyway. People, the first time somebody asked me, and you've heard me say it, I don't know, many of you, asked me, so does this work? And I, I was shocked because I, I'm just telling you what's true. I didn't have a work plan yet. I just had the covenants of the God written. I, and the answer came to me in that shocked moment. Well, what this does is get you down on the shores of the Red Sea with all the armies of the Pharaoh coming down on you with everything they got. Nothing between you and them but the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what this does. Because you're not going to defeat them with the truth. You're going to, because truth, like love, you've heard me say, love is not a feeling or a fancy. Love is a utility. It's a power. It's a force. Truth, real truth, from the tree of life, is a power and a force. Which is why evil wanted you to be cut off from it. And it depended upon that by shaming you. Making you proud. Making you, oh, you do this, you'll be like God. You can decide what is good and evil. You can decide, oh, I don't want to be in that congregation. I don't want to be in that guy. I don't want to pick that minister. But you're doing it from the tree of knowledge. You're doing it from your vanity. Because you don't pick it for the minister. You pick it for the opportunity of helping others. Just to be close enough to others to hear their cries. I'm sure when Joseph was down in the pit saying, Brothers, let me out. Some of them slept way off that night. Why at the other end of the camp? They didn't want to hear him. Partly because of guilt. Partly because of anger. Partly because of envy. Jealousy. Because there's all kinds of layers in our sin. As well as in our Urim and Thummim. Boy, I hope I don't have to say that real fast a bunch of times. Uh, the diversity in forms of terminology and origins of the word Corvi is likewise reflected in the biblical text. There's at least three different words that refer to this idea of Corvi. And one of them is uh, Mas Oven, which Mas is actually a word by itself. But it, it stands for compulsory labor. Just like that, uh, that word of Romans, you know, the public works. But it comes from a Canaanite word, Masu. And, of course, I've said that Canaanites were not necessarily a people the same as the Essenes were not necessarily a people. Canaanite means merchants of men. If you go back to more ancient languages, back to the Cuneiform and everything, it, it has to do with uh, uh, a sewer or merchants of men, which is where you get, you know, words like Syria and... Uh, other, but it has to do with being in this bondage. where and, and of course, Egypt set that up. That's how they built all the aqueducts that eventually irrigated all the desert and, and would channel, when the floods came, they would turn this water and run it way out in the desert and they could grow grain way out away from the river. And, uh, it, and they could store up the water, hold it back. And then, of course, the floods reduced and then the farming kind of moved back. But then they would move out with grazing animals a lot of times, you know, because they would harvest the crop, but there'd still be some crop left, you know, like if they were growing cotton. I don't know if they even grew cotton, but good good place to grow cotton. 
but when you're irrigating all the other things, there will be weeds and grasses that grow up. And then you can move your sheep and your goats and maybe even your cattle out there to graze that. And then they leave behind manure. And then the next year is when the flood comes, they would come back in there. So there was a whole process. Goshen had water a lot of the time. They they would grow three, four crops of grain a year. Because, you know, it's tropical, it's warm. As long as you get the water, they would go crop. And they're still doing it there. That which is part of the problem with trying to excavate some of that because people got grain fields there. But they will they work on one section at a time. So moss is this one word that shows up many times. Another one is sebel or sebel. Sometimes, you know, it it's like the word be it. When you see the word be it in print and there's a dot in the middle of it, that's gonna have the buh sound, like be it. Uh, or what we see in Sybil. But if you don't put the dot in there, now this is, this isn't part of the original language or anything. This is what, when they started taking the language and wanted to pronounce the words, they invented this process. Uh, kadus, I think that's what they call these dots and a lot of lines and everything. Um, it's about pronunciation and about whether, uh, a word becomes a vowel or not. And uh, but it has the V sound if it doesn't have the dot. And and see the C in the sebo is actually from sumac, which actually often when we write it it begins with an S, so it has that C sign sound. Uh, but it's not a kuf, even though it's a C. Sometimes the kuf and the kaf can be written as a K and a C, but the S and sebo. It's just imitating the sound. But it's it's from an Akkadian word, uh, sublum, which you'll find in the... which looks very differently because you're looking at cuneiform. But we find them in those Mari documents, which they're... I don't know at what count they're at now, but uh, it's tens of thousands of these documents about everything you can imagine. They don't have enough people to translate them. And then the people translate them, they have a preconceived notion, because they're scholars, they already are vain, uh, as to what all this means. But if you were able to go through them step by step, eventually it's going to come out that what what we're dealing... We are Babylon today, because we're operating in this core V system. But there's another word, uh, perek, uh, sometimes ending with a hay, which it means forced labor. Israel became familiar with this corvi labor as the slavery in Egypt and the tributaries of the Canaanites. Tributaries meaning systems of tribute. And sometimes the Canaanites were put under tribute by the Israelites, which they should not have done. And sometimes uh, there, there could be a way in which you put somebody under this tribute, but you should always put it under for a time element. So that people have something to work for. Uh, but, you know, like seven years. That, you know, you owe me so much of your labor for seven years. And then eventually, because we're trying to lead everybody to freedom and liberty. Everybody doesn't want to be free. Some people, some people don't have the capacity to be free. Uh, they're just not sharp enough. 
But you can you can find a place for them. Maybe they're, you know, 80 IQ, 80 point IQ. Well, that's, there's not a lot of things that person could do. But you can, you can find something from, they can tend sheep. <laughs> uh, sometimes they can train dogs. Or uh, Jordan Peterson talks about somebody that had this real low IQ, but he got a, a job training jo- dogs. And he was really good at that. And you do it. I mean, there were people, uh, used to be, there was always jobs that they created. You know, like a, before the automation, you know, like at a train crossing, where, where a train crossed the highway. Or boats, where locks operated. In these little canals. They had little canals that might be eight feet wide, and boats would go up there bringing supplies. Uh, there would be guys who man the bridges and man barricades where they would drop the barricade when the train was coming. And that's all they had to do. And there might be ten trains a day, but someone would come in the middle of the night. And they slept in a little cabin right there, but they got enough for food. And they got up and they did that. So there's usually a place for these people doing menial tasks that nobody else wants to do. And work is important. So, in the kingdom of God, you will find those people. They won't be free. They will be servants of a household. Or, or servants of something. But generally speaking, you want to not oppress anybody. And you want to be leading everybody that you possibly can to individual choices in their life. You want to give them, you know, funds. You want to give them some kind of money so that they can make a choice with what they are doing. Because... Choice requires the inspiration of God to make a good choice, not the tree of knowledge. Sometimes the mentally, uh, I don't want to say defective or deficient, but uh, limited, mentally limited people are spiritually very unlimited because the intellect doesn't get in the way. The more intellectual you are, sometimes the harder it is to see the truth. So, anyway, the first place we see this word that we see, uh, mach, uh, in the Hebrew, which is mem samach, uh, in this, its most basic form. You often see it added with lots of other letters. But, um, is in Genesis 49.15, and it says, And he saw the rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and become... A servant unto tribute. So that's where it's translated tribute. So he's bowing his shoulder to somebody else that already lived in the land because he saw that the land was fruitful. I think this was Ishikar. Yeah. Ishikar. And, uh, Cambridge Bible School and uh, College, they have a commentary. And I, I like their particular commentary, so I included that little piece in here. It says, Ishakar was ready to kneel and bear any heavy burden for the sake of a quiet life in a fertile land. And goes on to say, Ishakar is reproached for being ready to undertake forced labor and so to acknowledge the Canaanites as his overlords. So he was willing, they were willing to do that. And the, uh, that, that's interesting that he, because he wanted this, he was fine being an employee. And 
she, you know, they, they probably weren't severe taskmasters, but you know, yeah, you had to work and and you and you got room and lodging and some pay and stuff like that. And he was fine with that. But the Israelites as a whole, they wanted you to be self-employed. I remember, like, I ran a contracting business and uh, was learning farming at the same time and worked for all kinds of people. And uh, we ended up dissolving that business. And uh, I ended up working for one of my brothers for a while. It was just a couple of months. But I thought that was so pleasant. I just put on my tool belt and grabbed my satchel and I hopped in the truck and I went to work. And when the workday was over, I hung my tool belt up and and I was done. I said that 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 was very good. And that was just before I started writing the book. And I've been busy ever since. But that was, there's a certain pleasure in that. There's a certain viability in that. So, uh, th- this word, word that we see, mach, Obed, uh, compulsory labor, sometimes a moss by itself, uh, expression derived from the Canaanite masu, meaning corby worker. Uh, so you, you'll see this overlapping in other language, uh, like the Akkadians and, uh, and, and in the Bronze Age and everything, but the Hebrew, uh, Seal, dated from the 7th century BCE, reads, Belonging to Peliah, who is in charge of the mosque. So, th- these are taskmasters, people who actually run things. And so, you see that word, uh, mosque, but in the Hebrew, we see this, uh, uh, again, somak, uh mem. But uh, I was trying to think of there's some other ways it's written, but I can't remember them right offhand. Uh, I think sometimes they add a kuf, sometimes another mem. But it it actually they give it several Strong's numbers, you know, four five two two and four five two three, and actually even um, with two sumaks you'll see it in four five four nine. Uh, Mach is. De- uh, when it's makak two two somaks masas that's probably the way it's pronounced. Uh, although there's different uh, marks underneath it, but uh, it means dissolve, faint, grow fearful. But the word mak by itself usually is translated tribute, tributary, levy, discomfited, or even taskmaster. Uh, but it comes from a word that actually means afflicted or despairing. It has to do with this forced labor again, so it has to do with oppression. Of course, we're not supposed to oppress the people in our midst. But uh, how many times does it show up in the, in the Bible? Well, it depends on which numbers we're looking at. If we're looking at the mock by itself. Because these, some of these others are spelled exactly the same, but given different numbers. So how do you know there's an actual different word? Somebody's making that choice for you. And, of course, this is how the sophistry works really good. But basically, it all has to do with this idea of forced labor, where a portion of your labor belongs to somebody else, who is your taskmaster. Now, he may let you quit this job and go get that job, but no matter what job you get, you still owe him. 
But anyway, in Exodus one eleven, we see, therefore, they did set over them taskmasters. So there's where it's translated, taskmasters. To afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh a treasure city, Pithom and Ramses. Well, they weren't called Ramses at that time, but it was called Ramses later. And so by the time this is being rewritten, they just put in Ramses because that becomes the new name because the Israelites were in Egypt long before Ramses. But anyway, Deuteronomy 20.11, And it shall be if it make thee answer for of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all people that is found therein shall be tributaries and unto thee and they shall serve thee. So this was in Deuteronomy and a person should read all the way around that. When we do a study on Deuteronomy we'll try to get all that worked out. Uh, But it shows up quite a few times in Judges uh, quite a few times as tributaries which is systems of tribute. And in Joshua, it's tribute. Canaanites to tribute. They put the Canaanites to tribute. And they're, like I say, because you can put them to this tribute if they commit a crime. Because they, they owe recompense. But it should not be forever. It should always be for a period of time. Or limit it to one generation. Their children should be able to be born free. But or either born free or can earn their freedom. It should not be forever in bondage. Because every generation is a new generation. You should not inflict the next generation. That will be visited upon them. You should not inflict the next generation with the sins of the past. Which is, that's that's a principle right out of hell. Which is why you see it all the time. Reparations, all this stuff. People who are never slaves are going to charge people who never owned a slave reparations that they have to pay in taxes. And like I say, it will nail the coffin shut on the black community. But the other word is the sebel, semak biet, lamad. And uh, is from a word, uh, another word that uh, shows up a number of times. I can't remember how many times that shows up. But it, it actually is... Uh, Translated, it's only it shows up about three times in the Bible as that particular Strong's number. But it's the same as another Strong's number. That's 5447. But it's the same as 5445. And so therefore, it's also the same as 5446 and the same as 5447 and 5448 and almost the same in 5449. No, actually, it is the same there. It, it's 5450. It slightly changes. It's the same letters, but they add a hey on the end. So, the idea that all those different words are given a different Strong's number, and we're told that they mean something different, or they're used differently, and they're spelled exactly the same, shows you that the tools that translators have for manipulating the text. But we should not fear that because with the Holy Spirit we will know what's what. So, anyway, we we still got a lot of people in there. No extra questions in the chat room. Uh, but anyway, so I wanted to have this on record because we're going to be 
referring back to this as we go through Ezra because it's very important to understand these different forms where the tribute, it can be translated tribute or they could be just referring to the burden of having to pay the tribute. And so that's where you get this word civil. And it shows up in at least it's 5447. I should put in the other places too where it's 5446, etc. Um, I do have some of those others in here. But uh, I don't have where it shows up all the time in the Bible. But the the basic word is First Kings eleven twenty eight, and the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over the charge. That's the way it's translated. Sebel is translated charge of the house of Joseph. So that's where Solomon is setting up a corby, because he's setting that person over. Those people who have the burden, who have have the responsibility. Now, they're not going to pay tribute in the form of sending gold up. They're actually going to carry the burden. They're going to go and build the cities for Solomon. And we see Nehemiah, which is going to be important when we get into Ezra, where he says, They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens, 5447, Sybil, with those that laded everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. Now, that's that's like centurions. Centurions, most of the time, they never pulled their sword in battle. Most of the time, they were using axes for failing trees to build bulwarks or dams or, or sleuthways to mine gold. But they also had their short swords and their shields not far off because they never knew when they might have to do battle. And they did calisthenics. They did exercise. You could tell a centurion because that guy was in shape. And they lived long, longer than most people because of the diet that they ate. And uh, so anyway, and the, the only other place we see it is in Psalms. At least, uh, only other place we see it with 5447, but I just showed you 5446, 5448. There's many other places where it shows up. Uh, but it, it talks about, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. So the reality is, is that's part of what we're supposed to be doing is setting the captive free. But when we go through Psalms, if there be enough time in my life and day, we will look at all these different places. But I can see my task is to, to put all these other words where they show up. so Because they all have to do with the corvi. And this is a major theme throughout the Bible. Now, of course, the major theme is that you take responsibility for what you do wrong. Don't, don't add them things and say, oh, it's not my fault, God. It's the woman you gave me. <laughs> don't be doing that. It's not my fault. It's the king. You know, it's that darn Biden in the White House. No, it's not. It's you. And you by yourself can't do much. You coming together, you may end up seeing, uh, if not the burning bush <laughs> on the desert, you may see the armies of the Pharaoh learning to tread water. <laughs> or maybe they, maybe we'll stomp the ground and, uh, uh, 
earthquake will open up and they'll fall into it. You think that's possible? Now that I've said that, if you're around when it happens, you'll say, Oh my gosh, he knew that that was going to happen. <laughs> now you just have to guess. So anyway, uh, we've kind of gone through a lot of this uh, that we have on the page. I actually have a lot more. You know, I have this moral test with uh, and, and talking about what Walter Williams talks about. History is not going to be kind to liberals with their mindless programs that they've managed to do to black Americans what slavery, reconstruction, and rank racism found impossible, which is to destroy their family and work ethic. That's what they did with their their systems of social that's how you get into the Corby. Is you have to you have to you have to depend on them for food. And that that's how they ate at the table of Pharaoh and woke up in the morning and were slaves in Egypt. And we ate at the table of FDR and we were born into slavery because our parents thought that that was okay. Now, I know of ministers and sons of ministers who never got social security numbers, refused to get them all their life. And, uh, oh, I mean, they were set upon. But what they didn't do was come together. I know people wanting to get rid of their numbers now. That may not be your calling. That may be your ambition. I don't know what your calling is. But I tell you this, you need to pray about it. And if you're going to pray about it, you want to open up the urum and thummim of your hearts and let the light in. Because some of us are not called to be separate now. We we're called to go do battle with the beast, bringing the Holy Spirit into those high places. There needs to be some that remain separate. But that's not for everybody. Our goal is that everybody gets separate. And after the great reset, the greatest reset, <laughs> we hope to find people who uh, come through the other side with the, the righteousness of God in their hearts and in their minds. So, looking back, no hands are raised. Uh, and I'm going to have to go out and do some chores and we've got almost three hours in anyway. So I think this is going to be a long edit. But I'm going to let you go. I've, I see that people have come back. And there's things to do. So I'm going to let you go. And so until we meet again. Maybe at the Burning Bush Festival. Peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.